again. Uh, it's great to be with you guys this morning. We're starting a new sermon series in the book of Genesis this morning. Um, so I hope you are excited for that. If you have a Bible, this will probably be the easiest time that I ever can say this. Open to the book of Genesis. And here's the first clue. It's the first book of the Bible, right? So praise the Lord. Uh, you shouldn't have to search around for too long for this one, but uh, Genesis uh, is there yet in, in the beginning of the Bible. Uh, so over the next few weeks, we're going to be going through Genesis 1 through 12, and we're going to establish the narrative of Scripture. Uh, so as we get started this morning, I, I just have a couple of interactive questions. I did this last week, and I thought it was really helpful, so I'm going to do it again. Uh, but first, can somebody tell me, in like one sentence, the entire story of the Bible? Any takers? The entire story of the Bible in one sentence. Don't everybody jump down. <laughs> <laughs> okay, creation. Okay, good. Yeah. God created. God created. Okay, yeah. All right. Four words. Some story of scripture. <laughs> Emily. Yes, creation, fall. Okay. Redemption. Okay, and then the last word. Restoration. Okay, so if you want to know the story of the Bible in four words, you can remember it through those words. Creation. Fall, redemption, and restoration. God created the world. He created everything that is within it. He created man and woman in his image and in his likeness. And they rebelled against God. This led to the fall. We're separated from God because of our sin, which means that we need somebody to redeem us, to save us from the consequences of our sin. We see redemption come through the person of Jesus. Jesus died on the cross for our sins. He was buried, and three days later, he rose from the grave. And if we repent of our sin and put our faith in Christ, then we can be saved. And we look forward to the day where God will again return and restore all of creation to its intended order. Good job, guys. So let's do this together. Okay, the first word, creation. Creation. Fall. Fall. Redemption. Redemption. Restoration. Restoration. Good job, good job. All right, now can somebody share the message of the gospel in one sentence? God made Christ's response. All right, let, let me hear it. Explain it, son. Yep. Amen. Good job. Good job. That was really good. Yeah, so God made Christ's response. We really like the whole words here. So... If you haven't noticed, like our church vision statement is teach, gather, engage, reach. We like to keep things in fours, right? Because if it's in three, then it's odd. Nobody likes odd numbers. You all have to like even numbers, right? That's a thing, right? So uh, uh, the way to remember the gospel in four words, God, man, Christ, response. Who is God? What is he like? What are, uh, and who is man? What are we like? What have we done? And why do we need God? And then Christ, what has Christ done because of the fall of man? And the response, how do we respond to what Jesus has done? Right, so if we, if we look at this in big picture mode again, God, he is holy, he is perfect, he is just, he is good, he loves us, he created us to be in communion with him. We as people have rebelled against him, we need him, and this rebellion has separated us, so Jesus comes, he dies on the cross in our place for our sin, he was buried, and he rose from the grave, 
we respond through repentance and faith. Okay? This is something to continue to exercise in your mind for your own edification, your own sanctification. Remember again and again the story of the Bible, creation, fall, redemption, restoration. The story of the gospel, God, man, Christ response. So let's do the story of the gospel together. God. Okay, let's try that again. God. God. Man. Man. Christ. Christ. Response. Now, you're probably asking yourself this morning, Jordan, and we're going through the book of Genesis, why is all of this important to us at this very moment? And I'll say this, if we don't get the first book of the Bible right, we will not get the rest of the Bible right. So we proclaim to be a Bible people here at Church of Hope. We affirm the Protestant Reformation teaching of sola scriptura, which means that the authority of the life of the church is not in a pope, it's not in a pastor, it is in the word of God. We look to the scripture to instruct us, to teach us, and to lead us to the message of the gospel in our salvation. But the truth is this, is that if we don't understand the big picture of Genesis, and specifically Genesis 1 through 12, we will not be able to understand the big picture of the entirety of the Bible. So this morning, there are going to be some interesting conversations. We're going to develop a doctrine for creation. And next week, we'll actually start to dive into the book of Genesis. Uh, but nonetheless, as we get there, we need to see how the gospel comes to life even from the early pages of Genesis. So if you have your copy of God's Word with me, please open to Genesis 1. I'm going to read Genesis 1, verses 1 through 25, as we reflect on the doctrine of creation this morning. So as you turn there, I'm going to pray. Father, I thank you that we have the opportunity to be in your word this morning. God, I pray that you would help solidify in us the truth of the gospel message, the truth of your word, the Bible. And God, may we this morning see your power and glory on display through the teaching of Scripture. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Genesis 1, verses 1 through 25. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. The earth was without form and void, and darkness was over the face of the deep. And the Spirit of God was hovering over the face of the waters. And God said, Let there be light. And there was light. And God saw that the light was good, and God separated the light from the darkness. God called the light day, and the darkness he called light night. And there was evening, and there was morning, the first day. And God said, let there be an expanse in the midst of the waters, and let it separate the waters from the waters. And God made the expanse and separated the waters that were under the expanse from the waters that were above the expanse. And it was so. And God called the expanse heaven, and there was evening, and there was morning, the second day. And God said, let the waters under the heavens be gathered together into one place, and let the dry land appear. And it was so. God called the dry land earth, and the waters that were gathered together he called the seas. And God saw that it was good. And God said, Let the earth sprout vegetation, plants yielding seed, and fruit trees bearing fruit in which is their seed, each according to its kind on the earth. And it was so. The earth brought forth vegetation, plants yielding seed according to their own kinds, and trees bearing fruit in which is their seed, each according to its kind. 
And God saw that it was good. And there was evening, and there was morning, the third day. And God said, Let there be lights in the expanse of the heavens to separate the day from the night, and let them be for signs and for seasons and for days and years. And let them be lights in the expanse of the heavens to give light upon the earth. And it was so. And God made the two great lights, the greater light to rule the day and the lesser light to rule the night and the stars. And God set them in the expanse of the heavens to give light on the earth, to rule over the day and over the night, and to separate the light from the darkness. And God saw that it was good. There was evening and there was morning the fourth day. And God said, let the waters swarm with the swarms of living creatures, and let birds fly above the earth, across the expanse of the heavens. So God created the great sea creatures and every living creature that moves, with which the waters swarm, according to their kinds, and every winged bird according to its kind. And God saw that it was good. And God blessed them, saying, Be fruitful and multiply, and fill the waters and the seas, and let birds multiply on the earth. And there was evening and morning, Day. And God said, Let the earth bring forth living creatures according to their kinds, livestock and creeping things and beasts of the earth according to their kinds. And it was so. And God made the beasts of the earth according to their kinds, and the livestock according to their kinds, and everything that creeps on the ground according to its kind. And God saw that it was good. This is the word of the Lord for us. Thanks be to God. As we go into our message this morning, my goal for us this morning is to develop the doctrine of creation. And so really the big idea, guys, is this this morning. It's God is the creator of the universe. And as we look to the doctrine of creation, the theology, the teaching behind creation, the instruction of creation, we need to recognize this definition. God created the entire universe. And he did so out of nothing. When he created the universe, it was originally very good, and he created it to glorify himself. This is really the how and the why of creation. So if you're taking notes this morning, you want to write that down for yourself, I'll, I'll say it again for you. God created the entire universe. He did so out of nothing. The universe was originally very good, and he created it to glorify himself. So there's three questions that we're going to answer this morning. The first is this. How did God create the universe? And so this all comes back to the beginning of Genesis, Genesis 1.1. In the beginning, God. And before we can even talk about how God has created the universe, we need to speak about who God is. And it tells us that God is our creator. But it tells us here in verse 1 that in the beginning, God existed. He existed before time, above time, and he was a supreme being. The Bible requires us to recognize that God is holy, that he is just, that he is infinite in his power, infinite in his wisdom, infinite in who he is. Nothing can limit God. That nothing existed without him. So as we get to creation, we need to recognize that in God is the infinite power and wisdom to create. If we don't recognize this truth, we can't answer the how and why of creation. 
So creation comes to the person of God, recognizing his infinite power to create, his infinite wisdom, his, his capability to do anything. So the text tells us here in Genesis 1 that in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. That the earth was without form and void, and the spirit and darkness was over the face of the deep, and the spirit of God was hovering over the face of the waters. And so God creates out of nothing. This is the Latin term, ex nihilo. Anybody ever heard that before, ex nihilo? That means that he created out of nothing. Uh, so there's a false teaching that we need to just push against uh, for a moment. It's the idea that matter existed before God existed. Nothing exists without God. There was no beginning without him. There was nothing prior to him. He is and he was and he is to come. He is infinite. There's no time scheme that can hold him down. God is on his own in his power, and he is created. And he creates out of nothing. But specifically, we can see in verse 3 how God creates from nothing. And God said, let there be light, and there was light. As we see throughout the first five days of creation, every time it explains to us, it says that God said and something was. God said, and something was. So God creates by speaking things into existence. First, he creates the light. He says, let there be light, and there was light. If you picture for a moment, if all the chandeliers were down, and all the sconces were down, and it was 9 p.m. here at Church of Hope, right, because at 8 o'clock is still sunny out, for not very much longer, for those who knew their way for winter out <laughs> but if you picture 9 p.m. here as you drive by, there's darkness. And just like the flip of a switch, God says, let there be light, and light comes into existence. He speaks, and creation comes into its existence. And it says that he creates and he sees that it is good. He speaks material things into existence and immaterial things. Things like the light, things like the earth, like the waters, like the things of trees and fruit that bear good things for us. God creates by speaking, and He creates the material and immaterial. So if we say that God in His wisdom has created uh, the material things, we need to recognize the other side of that, the immaterial things. God not only created the earth, he created the heavens. He created the immaterial, the, the things that we cannot see, the things that we cannot grasp. God is not just the creator of the physical world, he is the creator of the spiritual world. The spiritual world that exists with God has created angels and other kinds of heavenly beings, as well as animals and man. He also created heaven as a place where his presence is especially evident. The creation of heaven is implied by a number of verses throughout the Old and New Testament. If you want to take a couple of jots to look at some passages this week, you can look at Nehemiah 9, verse 6, or Psalm 148, verses 2 through 5. Or Colossians 1, verse 16. God creates the spiritual, the seen, and the unseen. 
But God did a special work in creation. He did it in the creation of man. And we will spend some time, specifically probably three weeks, talking about the creation of man. As we look at the person of Adam. And it tells us in, the, in Genesis 1 that God took Adam and he formed him out of the dust of the earth. That he spoke into him and gave him the breath of life. His special creation was in the creation of man. So he creates out of nothing. He speaks it into existence. He creates the material and the immaterial. He also creates time. Time does not exist until God speaks it into existence. But he makes time, and by time we mean the succession of moments, one after another. God creates these things by speaking them. And we have to recognize that his existence is different than our existence. Uh, has anybody ever tried to stump you on, like, what do you think about God existing within time? Right? That, that question, if you sit down and try to debate that, oh my goodness, your brain's going to turn into smoke. Well, he's above time, he's in time, he's above time, he's in time. He's, a, he's without time. They're all true statements. They're all true to whole. It's because God is infinite in his power and his wisdom and his majesty. There's nothing that limits him. Nonetheless, we need to recognize that his existence is different than our existence because he is Lord. It's not just because we try to put him into humanity. There's also the involvement of the Trinity. If you look at the passage here, it says, uh, in God, in verse 2, the darkness was over the face of the deep, and the Spirit of God was hovering over the face of the waters. This is the Holy Spirit. And there are two roles that the, the Son of God, Jesus, and the Spirit of God play in the work of creation. Specifically, the Son of God is seen as the agent of creation. And so, if you can't flip over to Colossians chapter 1, Colossians chapter 1, we just studied this together, but again, we need to be reminded of this passage, Colossians 1.16. For by him all things were created, in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible. Whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities, all things were created through him and for him. And he is before all things, and in him all things hold together. You might be asking yourself, well, how do we know this is Jesus? Look at verse 19. For in him, in verses 18 and 19, actually, and he is the head of the body of the church. There's only one head of the church, Jesus. He is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, that in everything he might be preeminent. For in him all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell. The Son is the agent of creation. By him, for him, through him, all things were created. Invisible, visible. The things of God, the things of earth, created through the person of Jesus. So God the Father is the, the orchestrator, the architect of creation. Jesus can be like the project manager carrying things out. And then the Spirit of God completes the work. Every time you see the Spirit involved in creation, and the Spirit really involved in, in all of God's working, is to bring fullness. It's to bring completion to what God is doing. So there's a Trinitarian element to the fact of creation. So how did God create the world? He created it out of nothing. He created it by speaking it into existence. 
He has created the material and the immaterial. He's created man. He's created time. He does so through the Trinity. And now we need to see some teachings that exist in the world. There's three teachings that uh, confuse the creative order for many people. Pantheism, dualism, and deism. So I'm giving quick definitions for this. I know this is going to feel uh, like you're chewing on something for a little bit. That's okay. You're supposed to. So pantheism pushes against God and against the, the biblical account of creation because what it teaches us is that it's the idea that the whole universe is God, part, part of God. So the material existence of the universe is the picture of God himself. Um, Christian scientists believe this, right? They say that matter is God, right? So matter and material things are, are actually the existence of God. This, is, um, this can be seen in like earth worship, right? Mother Nature, I love Mother Nature, so I worship her as the creator and the all-powerful all being. Of the universe. But this it denies God's character according to the scripture. Particularly because if the universe is God and God exists in something that is material, they can't have a personality. He can't exude joy or goodness or wrath or anger. They can't have feeling and emotion. He just exists as a substance. But that's not how the Bible describes God describes him as having personality. Pantheism denies that God is unchanging. If, if God was the universe, he constantly had to change. It denies that God is holy. God has set apart things. He's above. If he's part of something and he decays like the rest of the world, then he no longer becomes the infinite power that he is. And then there's the other reality is that evil exists in the world. The Bible tells us that God is not evil. So how could a holy, just, perfect God be existent in an immaterial, broken universe? Creation, biblically, is also distinct from what we call dualism. Dualism is the idea that God and the material universe have existed side by side. And God's here and the universe is here, and they just run a parallel course. So God's doing his thing in heaven. He's the big man upstairs. There's no interaction. He's doing his thing. And then the universe just plays its course. The problem with this is that it indicates that there's an eternal conflict between God and the world. That's not what the Bible has told us here in Genesis 1. In Genesis 1, it says that he created and that it was good. That he brought light, he spoke it into existence, and he saw it as good. That he created the earth and the seas, and it was good. He created the birds, which I'm not a huge fan of birds, but he created them, and they were good. I struggle with that one. <laughs> he created the creeping things of the earth, and they were good. So if God creates and everything starts with this good order, then dualism goes immediately to something that they just deny the entire existence of some sort of creative work. And this denies again that God can have influence and control and lordship over creation. 
the God who spoke things into existence, well, if he exists parallel to the universe, then he has no say in how the universe rolls out. The scripture tells us, Colossians 1, for in him and by him and through him, all things hold together. How can a God exist who holds all things together if he can't actually hold all things together? This is the psychological headache for you. You're in good company. So we have to deny pantheism, that God is the universe. We have to deny dualism, that God exists kind of side by side with the universe, parallels with the universe. But we also have to deny what some Christians have embraced in deism. And by that we mean that that's the view that God is not now directly involved in creation. Hear that again. He's not now directly involved in creation. He may have been. At the beginning, God was the agent that brought the world into existence. This is what deism says, right? He, he brought the world into existence, but then he, he just put these processes in play, and then he just let them do their thing. And so some people who embrace theism go to what we would call theistic evolution. He brings evolution into a process, and he says, okay, hey, here you go. Now, uh, I've created the world, I've spoken it into existence, there's been a fall. Okay, I'm going to wind this clock up and just let it run its time, and then it's going to do something, but I'm going to stay over here. The Bible doesn't teach that. The Bible teaches us in Genesis that he speaks creation, that he sees creation. It tells us in Jeremiah, as Jeremiah hears from the Lord, it says, I knew you as you were in your mother's womb. He was involved after the broken, fallen world in the conception process. It tells us that he brings his son in the Gospels. Jesus enters into the world help the world, to save the world, and come to seek and save that which is lost. It tells us that he holds all things together, and he's coming again. So God can't just wind up a clock and let it go, because he is in control of his Lord. And that's the common theme through these false teachings, these things that we have to push against. Creation is dependent on God. It's not dependent on God, but it ceases to be the creation that we proclaim to be. So why did God create all of this? Why did he create the universe? I think there are really two answers to that. The first is this. God created it to show his glory. To show his glory. And the second is to show his glory. So as he shows his glory, what does creation show us about God? It primarily shows us that he has great power and wisdom. In Jeremiah 10, we hear this. Don't mind me as I flip through. I don't have great tabs in my Bible like some of you. Um, all right, Jeremiah 10, verses 12 through 16. It is he who made the earth by his power, who established the world by his wisdom, and by his understanding, stretched out the heavens. When he utters his voice, there is a tumult of waters in the heavens, and he makes the mist rise from the ends of the earth. He makes lightning for the rain, and he brings forth the wind from his storehouses. Every man is stupid and without knowledge. Every goldsmith is put to shame by his idols, for his images are false, and there is no breath in them. They are worthless, a work of delusion. 
At the time of their punishment, they shall perish. Not like these is he who is the portion of Jacob. For he is the one who formed all things. And Israel is the tribe of his inheritance. The Lord of hosts is his name. He did so to show his glory. He created it to show that he is powerful and wise. It's important to realize that God did not need to create the world. He did not need to create the world, but he does create the world because of his glory. He's not, and with that, he's not some sort of glory monster who's looking for people to just bring in accolades. God's glory existed far before creation. And here's the news, friends. God's glory will exist far long after this created world. Because God in himself is glorious. His creation was a total free act. It was a free act of his love. He did so out of his will. He created it out of his will because he desired to show us his excellence. So as he takes delight in his creation, we can take delight in his creation. So God created the universe to show his glory. He also created the universe to be show his goodness. When God finished his work of creation, he took delight. Just hear it, hear it again. These moments through Genesis 1. Genesis 1, 2, or 1, 3, let there be light and there was light, and God saw that the light was good. God said, Let there be an expanse in the midst of the waters, and let it separate the waters from the waters. And he did so, and he said that it was good. And God said, let us make dry land, earth, and the waters. And he saw that it was good. And he decided to make trees with bearing fruit with their seed. And God saw, verse 12, that it was good. And God said, let there be a light in the expanse of the heavens to separate the day and the night. And he did so in verse 18. And God saw that it was good. And then on the fourth day, he creates a swarm of the living creatures in the water and the living creatures in the air and the birds. In verse 21, God saw that it was good. And then verse 25, he creates the livestock, the beasts, the animals of the earth. And what does it say? And God saw that it was good. God declared his creation to be good. And even though there is now sin in the world, the creation is still good in God's sight, and it should be seen as good to us. This knowledge frees us from the false teaching of asceticism that sees the use and enjoyment of creation as wrong. We should enjoy the creator. How many of you like to go outside and enjoy a nice walk? I like to ride my bike because I don't run. Amen. Going outside and enjoying the creation. We prayed this morning. Caleb prayed as he was reading through Psalm 33. God, thank you for your beautiful creation. The gift that is the world around us. And sometimes we're like, man, we should even enjoy this. Enjoy the moment of going outside on a crisp day like today. Embracing the goodness of God. 
even though sin exists in his broken universe, from its intended order, we can still see a picture of God's goodness here in our world. I remember, uh, for those of you that don't know, I worked for some time in a Christian bookstore as a manager. <laughs> I remember I had this conversation with this lady. I always got into amazing bookstore. It was not good for me. I really needed to get out of there. I'm, I'm very glad for my stress and my health that I left the bookstore. But I like to engage in philosophical debates and debates of theology. And this one lady came in and she said, where are your Bibles? And they're like right behind the counter. So I was like, uh, whole wall. She's like, no, no, no. Where's your Bible? She's like, what are you talking about? She's like, if it's not the 1611 King James Version of the Bible, then it's not the Bible. And I was like, oh, here we go. <laughs> so we had a nice talk about that, and she, she kind of left the store. And then she comes back and she says, you can't be saved unless you read the 1611 King James Version of the Bible. And I said, ma'am, you walk out those doors right now, God is capable of saving you because you can see the goodness of his existence and creation. It didn't take the 1611 King James to declare that there was something good. It took God himself to declare that there was something good. And if you want to turn from your sin, especially in your rebellion right now, and you want to trust in the Lord Jesus, I encourage you to do so. Just let the door walk out. Nonetheless, it brought back a point that our salvation comes in the person of God. It doesn't come through material. It doesn't come through a resource. It doesn't come through our presuppositions. It comes from the person of God. God can save the man who does not have scripture. Because he has shown himself. But he informs us through scripture. So we should embrace the gift that we have in the Bible. We should hold on to it with goodness. But we should also embrace the God as a powerful, creative God who we cannot limit. God can do as he pleases. He's far more capable. I think of Job. In Job 38, there's this giant discussion where Job is like complaining to God because his life has been miserable. And God let his life be miserable. So, like, friends, hear that for a second, right? If you're facing some misery right now, God might be allowing you to go through some misery to draw you closer to God did this in Job's life. Is Job cried and complained and told him that he was facing injustice? God's response to Job was, where were you when I created the heavens and the earth? Where were you when I spoke the sea into existence? Where were you when I was forming the lands? Where were you when these things were creeping along the earth? And it just kind of helps us pause and reflect for a moment as the created people or the creatures of creation as we look to the creator. We need to be reminded of his awe and his power and his majesty. He spoke creation into existence. Man, I can barely whip together some pancakes on my own. <laughs> God speaks and things exist. While we're trying to get our pancake mix all together here, make sure it's not foamy. God is this beautiful, powerful creator. We need to remind ourselves of, of his power and mind. So God created the universe to show his goodness and his glory. And really, I think many of you might be asking this question this morning, what about creation in modern science? 
So I just want to take a few minutes here to just explain some things that we face in our world. Um, and, and first, this, this question has to come to the surface. Can Christians enjoy modern science? You ready? Yes. Yes, Christians can enjoy modern science. We can thank God for the things that he has done through time to point us to different studies that we can see his goodness working. And I want to give you a couple of historical examples of people who have been influential in modern science and philosophy. The first is Isaac Newton. Anybody remembers Newton's principles, Newton's laws? Right? Newton was a Christian. He was a Christian who embraced God and he he studied the sciences not to, uh, to create his own glory. He did it so that he could give God glory. Anybody heard of Galileo Galilei? Christian who embraced the goodness of God. Johannes Kepler? Anybody heard of Kepler? Christian who did his studies to bring God glory. One of my favorite, favorite philosophers, Blaise Pascal. Christian who wanted to debate against uh, other people who were saying that God could not exist. And he shows that God exists through the philosophies and sciences. Uh, there's been a, a teaching that has existed, especially that comes from the Roman Catholic Church, that science and, uh, and, and Christianity cannot exist. But they can. There's some really good examples of Christians today who are embracing science and doing good things for the I'd say Ken Ham. Ken Ham is a, a brilliant Christian thinker who is coming to the table to bring scientific research to show God's glory and goodness through his created order. I think the, there's a philosopher, Dr. William Lane Craig, who's a good philosopher, who will point out philosophical truths that he's doing some good things for the Lord. But Christianity has actually influenced science in some sense, too. And here's a great example. Um, did you know that prior to the 1500s, that most people in the world thought that the Earth was founded in the year 404 BC? 4004 BC, that is. You know how this, this uh, rumor came into existence? It came through an Irish bishop. The people of my land. Here they go. Always cost me he, he told everybody that the world was founded in 4004 BC. He just put a number out there and said, hey, here's when the world was founded. But the Bible does not tell us the precise date of when the world was founded. So if we didn't have scientific study and research, we could actually just get in trouble believing some false facts. The scientific method can be good. It can bring some really good things to the table. And there are, room, there are areas where we're going to agree and disagree as it comes to creation and science. And these are things to be embraced. We should embrace that there will be disagreements. But the big thing, the big picture that we need to see this morning is that if we're in this room, if we say that we are believers in Christ, we have to embrace that God is creator. If we don't embrace that big fact, that number one fact that God is creator, our faith is going to fall down. So here are just a couple of notes. Yes, the, the, the real question we have to answer is what rules our life, God or science? And God has to be a rule of our, of our lives. But there's, there can be a relationship between creation and the findings of modern science. And first I want to explain a theory that was actually developed by Francis Schaeffer. 
It's called the no final conflict theory. And this, Schaefer basically, he says that when all of the facts are rightly understood, science creation, when all of the facts come to the table, there will be no final conflict between the scripture and natural science. See how I find that Francis Schaefer says, the scripture and natural science. And basically, uh, he's saying, here are some rooms for disagreement. There's a possibility, first, so here's some room, areas that we can disagree on. There's a possibility that God created a grown-up universe. There's a possibility that exists. In fact, one really good example of that is the creation of Adam and Eve. Adam and Eve came into existence as grown men and women. Grown man and grown woman. They come into existence as an infant. Many of our details will tell us that when he existed, he was about 25 years old. God created them with the dust as a man. So there's a possibility that God created a grown universe. There is a possibility, he's saying that there's a possibility of a break between Genesis 1-1 and 1-2, or 1-2 and 1-3. Uh, there's a possibility of a break. There's a possibility of a long day in Genesis 1. There's a possibility that the flood that happened in Noah's day affected the geological data that we have that tells us the earth is this old. There's a possibility of the use of the word kinds in Genesis 1 could be wrong. Could be wrong. There's a possibility that there was death for animals before the fall. Where the Hebrew word bara is not used, there's the possibility of sequence from previously existing things. When we approach our study of creation, in scripture, we can approach this study with confidence when all the facts are understood and when we have understood the scripture rightly. And those findings will never be in conflict with each other. This is because God knows all the facts and he has not spoken in a way that would contradict any of the true facts of the universe. So first, there is an existence of some possibilities. But there are also some theories that are inconsistent with Scripture. I specifically want to highlight four. First is a secular theory. And by secular theory, I mean anything that is a theory of origin of the universe that does not see an infinite personal God as responsible for creating the universe by intelligent design. This is not compatible with Scripture. So an example of that might be the Big Bang Theory. If there's no God orchestrating the creation of the universe, then we can't embrace it in Scripture. Second is theistic evolution. Some Christians, again, have proposed that living organisms came about by the process of evolution that Darwin proposed, but that God guided that process so that the result was just what he wanted it to be. Many who hold this say that there are specific points that God intervened in, such as the creation of matter at the beginning, or the creation of the simplest life form in the creation of man. Theistic evolution holds that the evolution then proceeded as the current discoveries of natural science. That random mutation led to the evolution of higher life forms through the fact that those that had adaptive advantage lived while others did not. This is not compatible with Scripture. And there's a bunch of uh, objections that we I'd be happy to give you some notes on that if you have some questions about that. I don't have time for it this morning. 
The third is the theory of evolution. Evolution can be seen in, in different ways. Often when we talk about evolution, we actually talk about it in the micro sense of evolution. That is small developments within one series. But sometimes it can also be referred to as macroevolution. That is the general theory of evolution, or the view that non-living substance gave rise to the first living material. Something that was not living brought life. Which subsequently reproduced and diversified to produce all extinct organisms. There's some good challenges to that. I think one of them is the inconsistency that exists within evolution. There's always this uh, comment, well, if we could go back and reproduce the original creation, we would see that evolution is right. There have been multiple scientists that have tried to recreate the beginning of the universe, and guess what the result is? Failure. They can't go back to the beginning and recreate the creation of material and substance in life. They can't. Uh, another theory we need to deny is the gap theory. Some evangelicals have proposed that there's a gap of a million years between Genesis 1-1 and 1-2. And according to this theory, God made an earlier creation. And that earlier creation went crazy in rebellion and it just ended up in brokenness. And this is where Satan rebelled against God, and God judged the earth so that it was without form and void. And this, friends, is just reading way too much into the text that doesn't exist. Uh, that can be some sort of logical or philosophical conclusion, but it does not exist in the context of Genesis 1. So there's some things that we need to see are inconsistent with Scripture. And maybe you're asking yourself this morning, how old then is the earth? There is room for lots of discussion here. There are old age earth theories and young earth age theories. And, and there are Christians who sit on both sides of this conversation who love Jesus and want to be fruitful in this discussion. And so I'm just going to bring up two from each one. One is, uh, the first, let's look at the old age uh, earth theories. The first is called the day age theory. And that's where in between each day, each day represented some sort of period of time. So the Jurassic period the fossil era, I don't even know all those words. I'm sorry, scientists. <laughs> that is not my area of expertise. But I can tell you that what they believe there is that each day represented a period of time. It wasn't a literal day. It was a period of time. There's also the theory of a literary framework, that Genesis 1, as it was written, was written to tell us the narrative of what was happening in Genesis, and that it was not meant to be historical fact. Recently, our men's Bible study has been going through some different ways to study genres in the Bible. And I love this. Caleb said to me uh, last week, he said, hey, what kind of genre is Genesis? And he said, a historical narrative. And I was like, oh, that's good. That, that gets both. Well, Genesis is a narrative. There's a structure of a story that's happening, but it's also history. And so we need to embrace both of those things. So, um, but as we see that, what they say basically is that we need to consider the literary genre more than the historical accuracy of Genesis 1. And I would disagree with you on that. Then there are young earth theories. And there are two specifically that I'd like to highlight. First is immature creation. That God created a mature earth. That he created an earth that had age. And uh, we can see this as an impossible sign of the person of Adam. Uh, 
and another likely theory is called flood geology. That the earth may be young, but that when God judged the earth through the flood, that all of what was happening there, and uh, the earth being covered for, for a period of time, a long period of time, that that affected the geologic structure of the earth. And Ken Ham would say that there's some really good science behind that to embrace those things. But this morning, what we need to embrace in Genesis 1 is that God is a creator. If we don't recognize him as a creator, we can't recognize him to be the God of the life. So, in conclusion this morning, what is the doctrine of creation? Creation is that God has created everything, the entire universe, immaterial and material, out of nothing. He has done so by speaking it into existence. His original creation was very good, and he created the universe to glorify himself and show his goodness. This morning we embrace the goodness of God again as we look to the gospel. As we look to what Jesus has done and his creative power. We recognize that later on in Genesis 3 there's going to be a fall to you, rebellion. We can recognize right now that the world we live in is broken, that roads are not well paved, that things need to be trimmed, that there is decay and destruction around us, that there can be hope and security in the person of Jesus. So if you have not trusted in Jesus for your salvation this morning, this is your day to embrace that God has created the world around us, that He's created it to show His glory and His goodness. And primarily, we see the glory and goodness through his Son. And in Jesus, he has come to fix our brokenness, to, separate, to bring us back into relationship with God, to overcome our sin. He died on the cross. He was buried. Three days later, he rose from the grave. And who would turn from our sin and trust in him? We can have a right picture of what God has done when we embrace Father, we thank you for the word. I thank you for the time that we're going to have in Genesis. I pray that you would help us as we start to dive into the text more next week. That you would help us to live out the doctrine of creation that's consistent with your word. God, may we embrace that you are good, that you are infinite, that you are majestic and wise. Our thoughts are not your thoughts, Lord. Our ways are not your ways. But we trust you, knowing that you created us to be in community with you. We know that the chief end of man is to glorify God and to enjoy it forever. And so we pray this morning that you would help us to enjoy you and enjoy what you have created and specifically enjoy one another. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. If you'd like to please stand with us as we sing in response, we're going to sing His mercy is born.